as some of you guys may know, it was a little bit over eight years ago that I first became the lead pastor here at NCC. I was a missions and outreach pastor at a church called Oaks Church in Red Oak, Texas, and we had been there about five years. Um, Our family had the chance to serve there and um, to be over their outreach and their missions program, and that church had a strong connection with NCC. And so um, some of you were around then, but Pastor Chris and Kara, the founding pastors of New Community Church, they were here, and they knew they were getting ready to transition. So my wife Sarah and I began to have conversations Um, I remember sneaking over on a December Sunday morning and sitting kind of right in this area and just observing the service and everything. And so that first Sunday, um, it was right at the end of January, beginning of February, was our first Sunday being here. And we came up here on stage and Pastor Chris and Kara welcomed us and prayed over us and handed the baton of leadership. And, you know, that next Monday was my first day coming into the office as the lead pastor. Um, I'd been in ministry about 20 years at that point, um, right around there, but I'd never been a lead pastor before, so I was nervous walking in that first day, like, what does a lead pastor do? Like, I know what a missions and outreach guy does, but what does a lead pastor do? And so at that point, the pastor's office was right here in the Connect Track room. Some of you guys know where that is, right outside of the sanctuary here, this small room there. And there was a desk and there were some couches. And so I walked into the door. I had keys to the building at that point. Walked into the door, opened it, and I was greeted with this right here. There were streamers. There was a confetti cannon going off. The staff were in there. They were hiding and they jumped out and yelled, surprise, welcome, Pastor Aaron. And you guys, it was like the best first day on a job I had ever had, okay? So I I was trying to look for a picture, but I didn't get it. This was the only picture we captured. But my desk was just filled with my favorite bottled water, like pistachio, beef jerky, and then just an ungodly amount of Reese's peanut butter cups, because I love Reese's peanut butter cups. So I mean, it was just like covering the desk, and I was so excited. Like in that moment, I felt like, yes, man, I feel like I belong here. There's something about being welcomed like that that just kind of puts you at ease, that makes you feel good and cared for, and that you are loved. I don't know if you've ever had someone throw you a surprise birthday party or you've done that for something or for someone else, but there's something really special about that, right? When someone cares about you or when you express care for someone and you surprise them. I remember when Josiah, um, one of our older sons, first came back from the Marines and we filled Love Field Airport with signs. We were jumping up and down as he came down the escalator like we wanted him to feel like the king of the world because we missed him. There's something about welcoming someone back home or letting them know that you love them that is just so powerful. And that's what I want us to reflect on this morning. It's a part of the Palm Sunday story that we see in Scripture. And I want us to start just by reflecting on this question right here. How are you welcoming Jesus? How are you welcoming Jesus? I'm talking about into your life. How do you welcome him into your work week? into every day, into kind of the moments that fill up your day. How are you welcoming Jesus? Now, you may be here, and maybe you're new to church, you're new to this Christian thing, maybe you're joining us online for the first time, and you have no idea what Palm Sunday is. That's totally okay. We're going to kind of look at this and what was going on in this story, and it's going to help us to reflect on, hey God, what is it that you're saying to us even thousand year, a few thousand years later, about this story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 21, and I want to encourage you to do that. There's something about reading the Scripture, and you can follow along with us. 
that's going to encourage you and help you. And so this is where we find this story. Now, if you've never read the book of Matthew, this is kind of towards the end of Matthew. And we've already read about like the birth of Jesus, so how Jesus was born. We've read about kind of how he entered into ministry, some of his teachings, the miraculous things that he did. So Matthew's already told us all about that. And now we're picking up the story on the Sunday. It's known as Palm Sunday. The Sunday right before Jesus' death and resurrection, okay? Which is kind of where we're at in our calendar year. The Sunday right before Easter. And so that's where this story picks up. In Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start at verse 6. This is what it says. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put their, them on, they put their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on him. And so most of the crowd had spread out their cloaks on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them out on the roads. And the crowds went before Jesus and they followed after Jesus shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered the city of Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, and they're like, who is this? And the crowds begin to say, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. So let's talk about what's going on here in this story, because maybe you've never read this story, or maybe you grew up in church and you have this kind of idea of like, hey, this is Palm Sunday, and this was like a really cool Sunday where they threw Jesus a parade. So let's look at like what's actually going on here, and what are the questions that this helps us to reflect on as we're asking, how are we welcoming Jesus in our life? So what's taking place is this isn't just a normal Sunday, okay? And this isn't just the random parade that kind of starts in the city of Jerusalem. This is the beginning of Passover. And Passover was the biggest holiday on the Jewish calendar. Like all year long, kind of Passover was the thing that the calendar was kind of building towards. It was one of the most well probably known and celebrated holidays in the Jewish culture, had been celebrated for over 4,000 years. And so Passover was a number of different things, kind of like some of our holidays. Passover was the 4th of July in the Jewish culture, okay? And here's why, because that's really when they became a nation. You may have heard the story of Moses bringing the slaves out of Egypt and that's the Passover story, okay? So for 400 years, they had been a slave under Egypt, under Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no way. And then God does all of these miraculous things. And the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt. They get out of slavery. And now they are their own nation. So this is kind of like the 4th of July. It's Independence Day for the nation of Israel. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing. It's this great day. But it's not just like the 4th of July. It's kind of like Thanksgiving, right? Where you're looking forward to Aunt Edna's pumpkin pie that she makes every single year that is so delicious, or your grandma's mashed potatoes, or the way that your uncle cooks that turkey. He deep fries that thing like no one else can. Come on, you guys. So it's kind of like that because every year when they got together for Passover, there were certain foods you ate. And you got used to it, the way that this relative cooked that food or this kind of food and what it meant for you and kind of the feelings that you would get around eating some really delicious food. But it wasn't just like Thanksgiving, it was like Christmas because the whole family would come together. And it wasn't just an Independence Day kind of holiday. This had a spiritual significance 
that Israel didn't just revolt against Egypt, okay? Israel didn't say, hey, we're done being slaves and we're going to battle it out. No, this was something God had done. So there was this spiritual significance to this. And it was kind of that time of the year where everyone felt great, even though there were some solemn moments and remembering during Passover. It was an exciting time. And you would tell stories, right? Maybe some of you guys do this at Christmas. Like you begin to share stories about family and about history and all of that. That's what Passover was to them. It was all of these days kind of bunched into one. So on the beginning of Passover, Palm Sunday, Jesus is beginning to enter into the city of Jerusalem, and the city is packed. I think we have an image, kind of a, an older drawing of this is what made the city might have looked like, and you can kind of see this road. This is actually the road that Jesus most likely would have taken as he's entering the city on Palm Sunday. You can see the temple. That's kind of that dome thing shaped right there in Israel, and then back behind that, there are some taller buildings that were the Roman garrison. This is where the empire of Rome housed their soldiers. That's going to come to play here in the story here in a few minutes. And so you're going to want to take note of that. So this is what it was like. But the city was extremely crowded. Imagine trying to get downtown Dallas during a Mavericks game, okay? Or a Stars game. Or over to Arlington when the Cowboys or the Rangers are playing, okay? If you've ever had the unfortunate event of trying to get out to Forney or Terrell on 80 at 4.30 or 6.30, right? Can I get an amen if you're in the Dallas area? Like, it's just horrible. Like, traffic is at a standstill. You're frustrated, right? You're just, that's the most time any of us pray throughout the week is stuck in rush hour traffic. Jesus, please get me out of this. Like, it, it's kind of like that in the city of Jerusalem. It's packed. People are there. They're coming into the city because of this big holiday. So this is what it's like. It's not a random parade. This is the beginning of Passover, and this has some significance and meaning. And all of a sudden, this celebration starts because Jesus is there, and people begin to welcome him. But just like any crowd, just like any holiday, there are different kinds of people in the crowd there on that day. And I want us to look at maybe some of the people that would have been there, and we know that because some of us kind of fall into these categories as we're reflecting on how are you welcoming Jesus. The first people, they just saw Jesus as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Is Jesus a get-out-of-jail-free card for you? Some of you guys remember that in the Monopoly game, right? But that's how some people view Jesus. Like when they were looking at this and they were thinking about this, this is what they thought. Jesus, great, you're coming into the city of Jerusalem. I've kind of heard some things about you. You're really popular in the nation. You're a pretty amazing teacher. It seems like you rebel against kind of whoever the power is. And so Jesus, you are going to make my life better. That's why you're coming, Jesus, right? Because you can really make my life better. And so as we look at this, that's what Jesus was to, to them. He was just kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. You see this in Matthew chapter 21, like we just read this. I think it's right there at verse 6, and it says this, that as Jesus is going, the crowds begin to call out, Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Now to some in the crowd, that was a statement of worship. Alita just mentioned that. It was like a statement of praise, like, God, you're our salvation but to others, it had become very politically charged. And in the culture at that time, it was not just like a prayer. It was not like, God, we need you to do something. It was get Rome off of our back, God. Like Rome is oppressing us. 
Rome is taking advantage of us. Yahweh, where in the world are you at? What are you doing? Don't you care about us? Hosanna was a political cry of God. You've got to do something to make our lives better because it doesn't even look like you care for us. So while some people are standing there worshiping Jesus, crying, Hosanna, this is your salvation. Others have their fists raised in the air and they're saying, Hosanna, Yahweh, you had better do something. Jesus, you had better make my life better because it's not really great right now. And can I be honest? That's how some of us approach Jesus, isn't it? Like even in moments like this, even in moments of worship, like we come to places like this, but we're really thinking, hey, you got to make my life better. And that's how some of us welcome Jesus in. It's in that moment of crisis. It's in that moment of difficulty. And that's why we come like, Jesus, I'm going to come and give you my life, but I really need you to make my life better. Like, that's what I need you to do. How many of you guys have prayed that prayer? You remember back to high school, right? Jesus, if you just let me get an A on this algebra test. Okay, let me be honest, Jesus. A C is probably more practical. But like, if I can just pass this algebra test, we start making all these deals with God, don't we? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to miss NYC again. I'm going to stop saying those bad words. Like, we're, we're just going down the list. If you just help me do this. Or Jesus, if that girl or guy I'm about to ask out on that date, if they will just say yes, I'm never going to miss church again, I promise, right? And I'm going to pray more and I'm going to read my Bible more if I get this race. That's how we come to Jesus. Jesus, my life isn't that great, but I bet if I do the church thing, I bet if I do the Christian thing, you're going to make my life better, right? That's why you've come, to make my life a little bit better. There were people in the crowd, and that's how they saw Jesus. It was a political cry, get Rome off of our back. And it doesn't really matter who it is that's going to do that. I just need someone to do that. It wasn't a prayer to Yahweh. It wasn't an act of worship. It was a cry of my life's not that great, and if you can make it better, good. And that's how some of us treat God. That's how some of us welcome Jesus into our life. Like, hey, I'll do this thing as long as my life gets better. As long as you do what I want to. Which leads us to the second people in the crowd. Some of the people that day, they were just seeing Jesus as Israel's next king. But my question is, are you welcoming Jesus as your king? Are you welcoming Jesus as your king? Not just as some king that could sit on some throne out there, but as the king of your life. Like we see this in the scriptures, we see this in the Bible. I think it's in John chapter 12 that this next scripture is found here. And this is what it says. This same story that John is now telling, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. And then John references this prophet that wrote a couple of hundred years ago. And he says, don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. Now, that was just another word for city of Jerusalem. It's kind of a term they use. So he's saying, don't be afraid, Jerusalem. See, your king is coming, and he's seated on a donkey's colt. And he's referencing this, like, this is the way the king is going to come in. And some people saw Jesus as like, hey, maybe this is the next king of Israel. Great, once again, because it was a political thing for them. And as you read through the Gospels, you, you may not be familiar with this, but there were these two kind of religious parties that had become very political. Sadducees and Pharisees, and there were all these arguments. They thought different things about God, and which one do you kind of sit with? So I want you to know, Passover was like your Thanksgiving meal. And you're like, please do not let me sit next to that uncle or cousin, right? Because they're going to make it political. It doesn't matter what I say, 
it's going to be a political thing. Like you could say, the other morning I was going and I stopped and get a bagel and then they interrupt you, right? Do you know which political party eats bagels? Do you know what you're doing when you eat that? You know what you're supporting? How dare you eat a bagel? And you're like, I'm just trying to get breakfast. I'm just trying to tell a story. What's going on here? But like, that's how it was back then. There were these political people. And the weird thing is, it was kind of tied into religious stuff. So it got all kinds of messy and yucky and gross when these people were like, oh, if you really want to serve God, if you're really a good person, this is what you're, this is what you need to do. And so this king kind of thing got messy because they're looking at Jesus and they're like, hey, you could be the next king of Israel as long as you're with me. And so the palm branches they cut down were not just a random tree and they're like, hey, let's get this thing and kind of set it on there. The palm branches went back a few hundred years to the Maccabees. You may have never heard about them, but it was this group that had revolted against the Romans. And that's what they were saying is, Jesus, are you on my side? Like, are you going to revolt against? Will you take up a sword? Will you fight against the Romans? Like, will you be political like we're political? Because if you are, then you could be Israel's next king. And it had become very political. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to be the king of Jerusalem. I came to be the king of your heart. I came for you to accept me coming and sitting on the throne of your life. See, the difficulty is this right here. It's that some of us like the idea of a king, but we don't really understand what that means. Because the king has final say, doesn't he? The king's word is the final say in that kingdom. The king can bring direction or correction as needed, and everyone in that kingdom must listen to the king. And some of us, we like this idea that maybe Jesus can make my life better. Maybe Jesus aligns with my political party. We don't like the idea that Jesus can tell me what to do. But my question is, are you welcoming him as your king? And we, just like the people of Israel, we've got this all kinds of confused. Because if we were to be honest, about half of us are like, you know what's wrong with America? You know what's wrong with our nation? Is we're just not moral enough, we're not good enough. But if we would all get in line with this political party, and if we would just vote this person in, then America would be amazing again, and we could go back to the way it was. And then the other 50% of us are like, no, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're for justice, you're for the broken, you're for the outcast, and how could you dare vote for that other person? Because this person is for the broken, and they're for justice. And all of a sudden, we've made politics religion and jesus is saying i'm not for either party i'm trying to rule and reign in your life i'm trying to sit on the throne of your heart that's what i'm about is i want to bring direction and instruction to your life i want you to be able to look at me and call me king and lord this isn't about politics and it's not me giving a thumbs up to whoever you voted for this is you saying god i surrender to you And however you want to direct me, whatever you want to say, God, my life is yours because I welcome you as my king, Jesus. That's what I'm doing. That's what Palm Sunday is about. How are you welcoming Jesus in your life? See, there was another group of people there that understood kind of the significance, the impact of this. And they were welcoming Jesus in as their savior. Are you welcoming Jesus as your savior? Once again, there were people there that weren't, but you have to understand what Passover meant. It was, as I mentioned, this holiday that they had done for 4,000 years, and God had told them to do specific things, excuse me, to remember what it was like to be in slavery in Egypt and what it was like to gain freedom from that. 
So there were symbolic things. To us, it seems maybe a little odd or maybe a little different. But as they did this, it was a reminder that Yahweh is our Savior. Yahweh is the one that redeems us. Yahweh is the one that has brought us salvation. So if you still have your Bibles open, you can turn to Exodus chapter um, 12. And we're going to read this here. This is God first giving instruction to his people about this Passover. This is like 4,000 years before Palm Sunday that we're reading about. And God says this, hey, you're to choose an animal that must be a year old male without any defects. So this, this lamb here, this animal has to be perfect. No spots, no blemishes, no mistakes. This is a perfect animal and you're to take them from the sheep or the goats and take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So tradition was, is the Sunday before Passover, you would bring that goat, you would bring that sheep into your house, and they would live with you, okay? Imagine eating your pet. It got kind of weird here, okay? But in essence, you would bring that animal into the house, you'd take care of them, feed them, like make sure they're good. You would for those days until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel, they come together and you sacrifice that animal at twilight. And then you take some of that animal's blood and you put it on the sides and the tops of the doorframe of your house and then you eat that meal together. You eat that animal right there. And God is saying this is symbolic. It's to be a reminder that I am your sacrifice. Israel, you're not the sacrifice. You're not your savior. I am. And it's someone else who is going to pay the price for your sins You're not going to do that. Someone else is going to do that. So for 4,000 years, Israel is doing that. And then you get here in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John, and this is what you see. The Lamb of God makes his way into Jerusalem. It's like God saying, this is my perfect Lamb. And for the next few days, he's going to be in the house of God. And he's going to be around you, and he's going to be near you. And you're going to see that he is the perfect and the spotless Lamb. And then on Friday, when the whole nation took that lamb and they were sacrificing it, Jesus was outside of the city on top of a hill, dying on the cross. God was saying, this is my salvation. Israel, I, as Yahweh, am your salvation. You are not. And so what was happening on this Palm Sunday morning was more than just some kind of teacher or rabbi riding in on some donkey and people throwing a parade. This was God is saying, hey, for 4,000 years, you've been looking forward to this moment, and this is it. This is the final lamb that will be sacrificed. This is me giving myself for the sins of the world. And my question is, are you recognizing and are you welcoming Jesus in as your Savior? Because can I tell you, in that crowd, there were some religious people that thought, hey, God, we've got this. If we can just try to be more moral... I mean, how many of us have done this every January? Okay, God, I'm not going to sin this way, and I'm not going to sin this way. And I mean, our list gets pretty long because we sin a lot of different ways, right? Like, like I'm not going to gossip, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to be more honest, and I'm going to pray, like all of these things. And that's what we think, hey, this is what will fix us. But it's not, you guys. That list will not get you closer to God, and it will not make you a more righteous person. You can't save yourself. That's why Jesus came. And on that Sunday morning when Jesus is riding in, that's the symbol to everyone. This is God's sacrifice. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb coming into the house of God. And he's getting ready to be sacrificed once and for all, for all of the sins of the nation. The question is, are you welcoming him in as your Savior? 
this other guy who is a prophet named John. In John chapter 1, we see this right here. He sees Jesus for the first time. It says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He right at the beginning says, I notice this is God's salvation. This is the Messiah. This is the one who will fix what is wrong with our world. This is who that is. And there were people in that crowd that day. There are those of us that sit in this room. And that's what we think is, I can be a more righteous person. I can work hard enough. I can be good enough. I can do enough good stuff. And that's how God loves me more. That's not the way this works. You and I are called to welcome Jesus in as our Savior. And that means we're honest enough to say, I can't fix myself. You guys, you didn't save yourself and you won't keep yourself saved. You can't. We're not good enough to do this. We can't work hard enough to earn God's love. That's why Jesus said, this is why I'm coming, because I am your salvation. How are you welcoming Jesus into your life? And we see one more thing. We've been reflecting on how we respond to Jesus, how we welcome him in. I want us to look at something that happens in this story and reverse that question is, how is Jesus responding to us? Just one last thought. How is Jesus responding to us? You know, there are only two times in the gospel, and they're right around this story, that we ever see Jesus cry. Like, he may have cried a lot more. There may have been other times where he was sad, but we don't see that. There are two times in the gospel where we really see him cry. The first is this. Jesus, just a little bit earlier, is right outside of the city of Jerusalem, and his best friend had died. It's this guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus has been dead for four days. It took Jesus a couple of days to get there. Jesus gets there, and he's around Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. He's around people from the community, and they're all weeping. Jesus has already said Lazarus is not going to stay dead. He's actually going to be resurrected. No one else believed him. They thought, that's crazy. But Jesus knows the outcome of this. And yet we see Jesus come right there to the graveside. He's around family, friends. He looks around. He sees them weeping. And Jesus begins to cry. And Jesus doesn't cry because it's hopeless. Jesus isn't crying because he doesn't know what's going to happen or just because he's lost a close friend. He's weeping because he feels our pain. And there's this beautiful thing that we are, when we are in relationship with God, Jesus was close in relationship with that family. And as we're in relationship with God, Jesus sees our hurts and our pains and he weeps with us. He cries with us. This beautiful story in John 11 and in verse 35, it's just this simple statement, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He's crying with this family because he loves them, because he's close to them, because they're in relationship together, and he sees their pain, and Jesus cries over them, and he says, I'm right here in the middle of your pain. I'm right here in the middle of your suffering. There's another time that we see Jesus cry right after this Palm Sunday story. And Jesus isn't crying with people, he's crying over them. And we're told this in Luke chapter 19, that Jesus wasn't weeping with the city of Jerusalem, he was weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And this is what happens, is he goes through the city and then he makes his way back out. You kind of saw that image, that drawing earlier of Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem, that's probably what he was doing. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to begin to cry again. Only the second time we're told he cried in the Gospels, he begins to weep in Luke chapter 19, and this is what he says. He's like, as he approached Jerusalem, he sees it. He wept over the city, and he said, Jerusalem, 
if you, even you, had only know on, known on this day what would bring you peace, but it's hidden from your eyes. And he said, the days will come when your enemy will build an embarkment against you. They'll encircle you. They'll hem you in on every side. They'll dash the ground with you and your children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. This is the second time Jesus Christ. And he's crying over a broken city because he realizes there's people that just want to use them as a get out of jail free card. Make my life better, God. There's people that just want Jesus to be some political figure to make them feel better. Or that he's just some moral guy to help us try to be better people and live a good life. And he's broken because he said, if you will not be in a relationship with me, it's going to be your destruction. And you guys, this happened about 30 years from Jesus speaking these words, the Roman garrison that I mentioned, those soldiers came out of the city of Jerusalem, slaughtered almost the entire town, burnt the city down. The city never really fully recovered at that point from that destruction. And Jesus says, you didn't understand the peace that God was bringing to you. You didn't understand what Yahweh was trying to do. It wasn't about some political person. It wasn't about a king sitting on a throne. God was trying to be your salvation and you rejected him. You didn't want a relationship with him. You guys, when we're in relationship with Jesus, he weeps over us. When we reject that relationship, he weeps over us because of our destruction. Because he sees the devastation that it's going to bring in our life. And my question is, how are you welcoming Jesus? You know, this is Palm Sunday. This week, we're focusing in on Easter and how... Are you making Jesus a part of your life? Have you let him be your king? Have you welcomed him in as your savior? And I want to pray over us, and then we're going to have a few ways that we're going to respond together. So I want to ask if you would maybe just take a moment, bow your head and close your eyes and reflect on this message. There may be those of you in this room, and you'd be honest, or maybe you're watching online, someone invited you, or you found our church website, and you would be honest and you would say, Aaron, I've not welcomed Jesus into my life. Maybe you're like some of the people in this story. You're tr still trying to be your own king. You want to do things your own way. Maybe you've been around church, but it's just this thought of God, if you could make my life better, then maybe I'll try to do the church thing, and that's not the way this works. Maybe you keep telling God, once I fix myself, once I get my life in order, once I'm a little bit of a better person, then I'll come to you and then you can love me. But he wants to be your savior. You can't fix yourself. I can't fix myself. And if that's you, we're going to pray this really simple prayer. And it's just acknowledging that. It's acknowledging, God, you want a relationship with me. This isn't about a list of rules or some laws or a set of behaviors. God, you just, you want to get to know me and you want me to get to know you. That's your desire is a relationship. And in this prayer, it's just saying, God, I've messed up and I need your forgiveness. And so we're going to pray this together. And I want to invite you to say this out loud. And I'm going to invite everyone in this room to say this out loud because we don't want anyone praying alone. Or you could even be watching this by yourself. But I want to encourage you to say this out loud. Pray this out loud and let's mean this together. Jesus, I come to you. 
I know I need you in my life. I admit that I've messed up and I've sinned. I pray for your forgiveness. And so I welcome you into my life. I want a relationship with you. Be the king of my life. Be the savior of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate with anyone that prayed that prayer? Because the Bible says this, that all of heaven's rejoicing, that if you prayed that and you've been disconnected from God, that heaven itself is celebrating and God's rejoicing because his desire is to be in relationship with you. And if that's you, if you're like, man, I've been feeling disconnected from God, but this morning I prayed that or I prayed that for the first time. We don't want you doing this Christian thing alone. We don't want you walking with Jesus alone. We want to help you. And so if you'll just let us know, hey, I prayed that. Maybe I've said that before, but this morning there was something different as I prayed it. You can go to newcommunity.co slash newlife and just let us know. And one of our new life coaches, we want to, or team members, we want to walk with you and encourage you and pray with you and just help you as you start this journey with Jesus. We don't want you doing this alone. So please take a moment and do that. And then we're all going to respond together this morning in a few ways. I want us this week to really focus in on welcoming Jesus. And there's a simple way that you can do that. Um, if you have a smartphone or a smart tablet, or if not, you can do it online. You can go to Easter Now or download Easter Now on your phone. And once you do that, it's going to look like this. I think we have a video. So it's this icon right here. And Easter Now walks us through these days. Um, and so starting right here on Palm Sunday... It's what Jesus did all throughout this week leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. This is where he was at. So it's going to show you a little map of here's where Jesus was located going on that road to Jerusalem. Some interesting things, some scriptures to reflect on as we're walking through this week. And if you have a smartphone, it's just going to ping a notification. And it's not going to be out loud, so you can do that. And as you walk through Monday or Tuesday, you're going to get notifications of this is what Jesus was doing. And it's just a simple way all through Good Friday and through Easter morning of remembering, Jesus, this is what you did for me this week. This is what you were going through. And my challenge is that as these notifications come, if you're able to do this, that you would just pause and say, Jesus, I welcome you into my life right now. God, you're my king. Is there any direction? Is there anything you need to say to me? God, you're my savior. Is there anything you want to change or do you need to bring forgiveness in this area of my life? God, do I need to worship you now? Just kind of that moment, that momentary pause. You don't have to stand up on your desk, okay? You don't have to get up on the cafeteria table, students. Just pause wherever you're at in that moment and say, Jesus, I, I just welcome you into this moment with me. You're here. You're my savior. You're my king. That's who you are. So I want to encourage you, go to that. It's Easter now. It's the name of the app. You can do that on your smartphone. You can do it a little bit later. Um, Easter now. And you can download that and just set those notifications all week long. We just want to keep this in front of us. Jesus, we are welcoming you into our lives. You're our king. You're our savior, God. You're with us this week. And so we want to do that together. And then there's one more way we're going to respond this morning. Um, in your seats, there is a card there. And we're about to just sing one last worship song and go out worshiping this morning, Jesus, together. And as we're singing this, as we begin to sing this and the worship team is leading us, I want you to take a moment and just write one word, okay? 
It could be he's my king or just king. It could be savior. It could be salvation. It could be forgiveness. Who is Jesus? How are you welcoming God? This is how I'm welcoming you into my life. You can do it on your smartphone. You can grab that piece of paper. And then after you've written that, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet. And we're just going to sing this out, welcoming Jesus into our life. So take a moment, just write that down. If you're worshiping online, grab a piece of paper and pen, just reflect on that. Jesus, this is who you are. This is how I'm welcoming you into my life. And then I want to invite you when you're ready to go ahead and stand. Let's sing this together as the worship team begins to lead us.